The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Whoever said retirement planning isn't like skateboarding? Certainly not us. Let Wade, Alex, and I tell you how. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Retire with Style. Uh, I'm Wade, and I'm joined with Alex. And we're joined today by our favorite, a special guest who's been here now. I, I don't know how many times, but I think he's past five, so he needs a special ring. Five-time guest Bob French <laughs> <laughs> to talk about the fundraising these show. Are, these are the big, like Super Bowl type rings, <laughs> yes. right? Lots of yeah, gold and I, uh, Wait, I think we're just going to get in one of these ember mugs. They're, or maybe they're all the I could send right an autograph copy of my book. <laughs> yeah. It might be even better, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. The cure for insomnia. There we go. Okay, but, but if you've been listening, you know Bob was here last week as well because we have a, a two-episode story arc on the funded ratio which can be a really powerful tool for just getting a sense on whether you're on tra- of whether you're on track for retirement. And we talked about how the funded ratio works last week. We may review a few bits of that as we go through the discussion this week. But this week is really intended more to talk about the interpretation of what does your funded ratio score mean, both on the aggregate level, but also when we were talking about the Rio map, where you have reliable income, diversified portfolio, and reserves, We do also want to look at your funded ratio for each of those subcategories as well, because then that really speaks to uh, you may be funded overall, but you want to make some adjustments. What's in reserves? What's in the portfolio? What's in reliable income? And and that's then the heart of building your retirement income plan to fund your goals in retirement. So that's what this episode is going to be about. It's more on the interpretation and Bob, uh, so what we were talking about last week, it's funded ratio is assets over liabilities. If that number mm-hmm. is less than one, you can define it two ways, either the fundedness is one or 100%. So if you're less than one or less than 100%, you're underfunded. If you're one or 100%, you're fully funded. And if you're over one or over 100%, you're overfunded. But but what, I mean, it must not be exactly one. Like, what's the ranges people might think about where maybe yeah. if I'm a little bit so, under one, am I worried? Or could you kind of go into that a little bit? Yeah. And, you know, it's important to remember that, you know, there's a little bit of wiggle room here. So if you're at, you know, 0.999, um, that's one. Um, you know, you, you're probably okay. You know, maybe don't go out to dinner once and you'll be fine at that point. Um But within the context of the funded ratio tool that we've built at Retirement Researcher um, and that we use in our challenges and, you know, within the Retirement Researcher Academy, we actually use four different categories to kind of classify the different scores. And, you know, I'll be completely upfront. These are these are largely arbitrary type distinctions here. Um, You know, the first one, you know, starting from the bottom is is just underfunded. 
um, you know, people who still have a good amount of work to do to reach uh, the point where they can fund the goals that they're looking to fund uh, absent taking on any risk within their portfolio uh, or within their plan, I should say. You know, next up, we've got stressed um, and underfunded. We kind of categorize as anything below 95% or 0.95. Next up, we have stressed, um, which is kind of that area right around one. Um, so that's actually 0.95 to 1.05. So those people who are right kind of at that level um, where, you know, yeah, you got enough assets probably. Um, but if something were to happen, um, if you do bring risk into this portfolio and, you know, things don't quite go your way, you know, we might start dipping down into an area where you're not going to be able to do what you want. Uh, next up is constrained, you know, 105 to 110 or to 115, excuse me. Um, you know, that's kind of where you start getting a little more comfortable. There's still, if things don't go quite right, you know, there's still some risk there. Um, but you're, you're in pretty good shape at that point. And then, you know, above 115, uh, you know, then we get into the excess funding, which is, well, you're in pretty darn good shape at that point. So you can go in and, and really kind of be able to pick and choose what it is that you want to be able to do or even potentially uh, increase your spending at that point. Um, you have a lot more flexibility at that point to do what it is that, that you want to be able to do in retirement and how you want to do that. And you can feel more comfortable about like always the question people have is, do I have enough for retirement? Yes. And if you're overfunded and you're using a tips discount rate and you're assuming the plan through say age 95 and you built in some contingencies for long-term care and so forth it's of course nothing's ever 100 percent certain but you should be feeling in pretty good shape in that sort of scenario where you don't have to be as worried anymore about not having sufficient assets unless you do just take on and this is where you don't need risk to make the plan work now you mm -hmm. could always decide to take on a lot of risk and your overfunded status could always switch to underfunded because of losses and assets. But I mean, barring that sort of scenario, if you're not going crazy there, you, you should be in good shape and you should feel comfortable that you have what you need to have a successful retirement. But a lot of listeners may be in that range, but a lot of people won't be. And so let's kind of walk through more about thinking through these four levels that you outlined. Yeah. And again, with the underfunded and stressed, if you do your funded ratio and you're coming out as underfunded or stressed, what might you want to then be thinking about? Yeah. So I think there's a couple things. Um, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is that this can be a really good gauge in terms of how much risk you want to bring into the portfolio. Um, so if we're looking at underfunded, you know, again, I think of that as, you know, the, the funded ratio is just saying you have a lot of work to do or you have some work to do, some level of work to do. You have to make up some ground one way or the other. You know, we can always go, you know, I shouldn't say we can always, but one way is reduce your spending. Another way is if you are still working, increase your savings either through just Increase your 401k contribution or how much you're putting away, 
or work longer, uh, which also gets to reduce spending as well, obviously. Uh, the other one is to increase the level of risk in your portfolio. You know, again, we're starting with, you know, while we're running this plan, a really low, effectively, a really low return assumption is what that comes down to. Well, you know, maybe increase the level of risk, maybe bring in some more of those risky assets to hopefully increase what you're going to have when you, you get to that point where you retire, um, increase your level of assets at that point. Yeah, and just um, a little nuance the, there, because if Svi Bodhi was listening, uh, he's a professor at Boston <laughs> University. If, if he heard Bob's statement there, we want to be clear, just putting a little bit more caveat around that. But you're right, if you're underfunded, you need to either increase your assets or reduce your liabilities. You can work right. longer, you can save more, you can plan to spend less, or you can earn a higher rate of return on your investments. But the caveat is, of course, There's it's easy there. to assume that. Uh, the reality is <laughs> you have to take risk to do that, and that risk may not right. materialize. And it, so this really would speak to... The, the third option is out of your control. Right. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. it's just, it would be, it's equivalent to lowering your probability of success. It's just back to this point we discussed before where a Monte Carlo-based financial plan with a probability of success is a different way of thinking about the same issue I could increase my discount rate, which assumes a higher rate of return. That can make the plan look better, but it would correspond to a lower probability of success in the grand scheme. Absolutely. Things. Right. And we, we broke this down in the last episode a little more than we're planning to do today, like Monte Carlo versus funded ratio and, and really, you know, the breakdown of what, what the funded ratio is. So feel free to catch the previous episode if you dare. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. So, I mean, but, but getting back to that, that main point there, I mean, w once you are in that underfunded state, something needs to change. Um, you know, you need to make some adjustment to get where you want. Again, to, to reiterate Wade's point there, liabilities either need to come down, assets need to go up um, one way or the other. That Those are really the two levers that you have. And within those, you know, there's lots of different levers, you know. The, uh, the amount of risk you take into the portfolio is one. And, you know, a prime one that a lot of people, you know, whether it's VBODY wants this to or not, uh, you know, one that a lot of people will avail themselves of. So, you know, people will push on, you know, the expected return that they're looking for, you know, when they are underfunded. And the more underfunded you are. You know, the more risk that you would need to take or the more put more broadly, the bigger the action that you need to take, um, you know, to get you to a place where you can fund the retirement that you're looking for. And you know, effectively, last, if you're in the last episode, but we didn't really explain it in detail of why a higher discount rate improves the funded ratio. And it's usually because your liabilities are further into the future than your assets. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the asset base is account values today. There are things like Social Security that a higher discount rate will lower the value of your Social Security uh, present value. But all these cash flows that go into the liabilities are also going to be lowered with a higher discount rate. And so there could be right. an exception where if maybe your plan has a huge inheritance at age 80, for example... That's an asset that it's possible mm -hmm. a higher discount rate could lower your funded ratio. But I think for the vast majority of listeners, their liabilities come later than their assets. 
And therefore, anytime Absolutely. you take on more risk, you increase the discount rate, it will cause the value of the liabilities to fall by more than the value of the assets falls. And therefore, you have a higher funded ratio. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at the underfunded level, you know, you're going to need to make take some action. Um, flipping over to the other side, if you're in that excess funded area, it's really personal preference at that point. You know, you're in a pretty good place so that you can go in and decide how much risk do I want to take? Um, you know, the question when you're, you're underfunded and sometimes severely underfunded is going to be how much do I need to bring into the portfolio or how big of an action do I need to take? Whereas on the, the positive side of the equation, um, it's how much do I want to take? Um, and it's really very much personal preference there. The really interesting question starts to be, as we get closer to one, as we get closer to that, you know, platonic uh, funded level of one or one hundred percent, you know, your capacity for risk is reduced. Um, you're closer and closer to, you know, being right on that knife edge, and you can't withstand any downside deviation. You can't really withstand any real shocks to your plan. Well, that means that you need to be more and more conservative. Um, you know, so it's definitely something that can help guide how much risk you want to bring into the portfolio there. Mm -hmm. Alex, I see Alex talking on the screen, but he's muted. But let me just say, right, I mean, it's when you're overfunded, you can think of the surplus as this sort of discretionary or excess wealth. But yep. you can take all the risk you want. Whether you want to take risk for the assets that are getting you to that funded level, that's that's a question that's going to depend on your retirement styles and so forth. But, but you simply don't need to take risk with the, yeah. the assets that cover the portion that make you funded. It's the surplus where the, the sky's the limit. And that's why as you become more overfunded, you have the capacity to take on more risk you have that least capacity to take on more risk right at being funded. And then if you're underfunded, that's where there's some debate. You know, you could roll the dice or make that Hail Mary pass and take the risk and hope the, the risk pays off and you switch from underfunded to funded. But that, that entails risk and you might get even yeah. further behind. And so depending on your viewpoints on that, either you don't have the capacity to take risk when you're underfunded, that would be Svibodi's argument. Or you need to take the risk to get caught up. That would be uh, many other the people more total besides type of argument. Yeah, would suggest. <laughs> yes. No, and, and I was going to that's that's where I was going with my comments when I had the mute button on the microphone was effectively that. Like, at what point are you too far gone that the heck with it? Just roll the dice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no answer to that. Um, you know, the conservative approach would be, well, I don't have enough money, so I'm going to reduce my spending. Um, you know, that, that would be a pretty reasonable way of approaching the problem. But yeah, at it a just certain depends, point, right? you don't want to sound like let them eat cake. You, you know, yeah. some people just can't reduce it. That, that's where I was going. Yeah. But at a certain point, you know, that becomes a less viable strategy and you need to start looking at the asset side of the equation. Um, you can increase Again, your level of savings to, again, to a point. You can potentially work longer, again, to a point. Um, but at a certain point, you know, risk does become the avenue that you might want to be looking at. 
And, you know, the further away from, you know, fully funded you are, the bigger you got to swing. You got to swing for the fences at a certain point and hope things work out, which obviously is not a great place to be. But, you know, sometimes that's where some people are. Yeah, and we're not saying you have to swim for the fences. Let's be careful on that one, actually. Yeah, that, it's not like, oh, my God, Mega Millions, $500, $500 million. Yeah, Before let's, this let's episode's over, Speedboaty's going to smash his speakers against the wall listening to Bob. <laughs> <laughs> you need caveats on those statements. No. <laughs> Whoa, Nelly. Slow down, Bobby. <laughs> it's an option. That it may is appeal not. more yes. towards a probability-based style, but it won't appeal to everyone. Right. Uh, more like improbable style. <laughs> uh, uh, wait, uh, just taking it back to the last episode, we talked about the Rio map and the funded ratio. I'd like to maybe explore a little bit, not the, the whole funded ratio score, but how we can look at the components of the funded ratio relative to the real map. It'd be kind of interesting if maybe, wait, you give a little preamble on, on the real map real quick, specifically the assets and liabilities, and how, and mm-hmm. then Bob can take it from there, I think, on how that leads to component parts of the funded ratio scores, and it also helps you decide, based on your RISA profile, how you want to kind of move move the chairs around. Right, right. And, and so we talked last episode about how the Rio map is really just an illustration. And then the funded ratio is what provides the numbers to the Rio map. And, and so what the Rio map shows, we've got three columns. On the left, you have your goals for retirement. And they're the four L's. Longevity and lifestyle are your budgeted expenses, legacy, and then liquidity. Then on the right, I'll leave the middle for last. So that's the left, the goals on the right. That's your liabilities. That's the expenses associated with those goals. And that's where that's what you're quantifying with the funded ratio. Longevity is about your essential spending. Lifestyle is about your more discretionary spending to have the best lifestyle overall. Legacy is about what you want to leave to the next generation. And liquidity is about funding contingency shocks or these contingency expenses that aren't budgeted directly but maybe you want to have something set aside to cover a long-term care event and so forth. And then the middle column is your assets. And they're divided between reliable income assets, the diversified portfolio, and reserves. And so this is where you may be overfunded at the aggregate level. Your reliable income plus diversified portfolio plus reserves may be greater than your longevity plus lifestyle plus legacy plus liquidity. But when you start to look at these subcomponents, there might be you might be really overfunded in one part, but then underfunded in another part. And, and so, Bob, could you walk us through that that process of looking at yeah. these different components? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is you know for a lot of people, you know, a lot of our listeners probably are more on that funded side of the line. This is really where a lot of the really interesting stuff starts to happen, being able to really target how you want to put your retirement plan together. Because a lot of this stuff is really going to be based on your RISA scores, how you actually approach your retirement income planning and the retirement income that you want to be receiving from your plan. Because we really look at this in in three different buckets. Um, So we'll look at the money that you have in reliable income, 
and match that up against your essential expenses. You know, we'll look at your investment portfolio and match that up against actually both your discretionary and legacy expenses. And then the third one is we'll look at your reserves and match that up against your contingencies. Uh, you know, how much money you want to be setting aside to deal with, you know, hey, I need a new roof or long-term care or whatever it might happen to be there. Now, we'll report those in kind of that same kind of funded level. And this is one of the tricky things. Um, you know, we've got a lot of folks who are, are always used to seeing 100% on their, their test scores. Um, so they really want to make sure they maximize that. But that's not what you want to be doing here. That's not necessarily what you want to be shooting for. It's really going to depend on what you actually value within your plan. So if you're someone who is on the total return side of the fence, you're someone who is kind of in that total return quadrant, you know, you don't necessarily need to match all of your essential expenses up against reliable income. You know, you got your Social Security. That's great. You know, maybe, maybe you got a pension. I don't know. That's great. But you're comfortable having the bulk of your income, even some of your essential expenses coming from your risky assets, coming from your investment portfolio. On the flip side, you know, someone who is kind of that income oriented, that safety first income protection oriented person, you know, you don't necessarily like covering many of your expenses from your investment portfolio, even your quote unquote discretionary expenses. You know, you want to have most of your income coming from those reliable income sources. You know, that's fine. That's great. Um, it's all personal preference at that point. You know, you'd be wildly overfunded on your reliable income versus your quote unquote essential expenses. But that's because you want to fund some other stuff from those reliable income sources as well. So what it really all comes down to is taking the information that the funded ratio is going to give you and helping you think through how you want to position your assets, how you want to be able to position your income sources to match what you want to actually be spending here. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. Yeah, and maybe to give an even concrete example around that. So let's just say you've done the funded ratio. Your reliable income, let's say all you have is Social Security as a reliable income asset. When you match that against longevity expenses, maybe it's a 60% funded ratio so that you're dramatically underfunded with the essential spending or the reliable income. But you've got a lot in your investment accounts. Mm -hmm. And so your diversified portfolio, when you compare it to, say, lifestyle and legacy goals, maybe you're dramatically overfunded, maybe 160% there. Now, when you add them together, your reliable income plus your diversified portfolio compared to your longevity plus lifestyle plus legacy, maybe you are funded. Maybe when you combine those, it's, say, 110% so that you are funded. Then the question is, what do you do? Is this a problem or is this fine? And that's where, depending on your retirement style, 
you'd answer that question differently. So Bob, what you were saying was, if your total returns, you don't necessarily worry about your that funding gap for reliable income. You care more about my reliable income plus my diversified portfolio yeah. is fully funded compared to my longevity plus lifestyle plus legacy, so I'm fine. But if you're any of the other styles, there's going to be some concern. You, But it's fixable. And, and mm-hmm. what I created, <laughs> you can fix this. And what it would entail is, like for example, if I'm income protection, I could reposition some of that diversified portfolio into potentially some sort of an annuity to bring that reliable income asset base higher. It increased my reliable income, lower my diversified portfolio, but then create more of a one-to-one match so that I do have 100% funding for reliable income. Now I've brought, I've sold from the diversified portfolio to do that, but maybe it's now closer to 100% uh, for the diversified portfolio as well. And that would be an income protection answer. Let's increase the reliable income base and get that more balanced uh, between the different subcategories. Whereas again, the, the total returns it isn't as worried about that particular issue. They, they don't need to feel like the fully the reliable income needs to be fully funded because they are comfortable drawing from the diversified portfolio to fund longevity expenses as well. That, that's one of the main differences, really. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's really kind of taking apart the funded ratio and figuring out all of the different ways it can give you information about what you want to be doing within your plan um, and taking that information and, and turning it into something that's actually usable. Um, and, and these kind of category scores, as we call them, are some of the most actionable pieces of information here within the plan. Uh, to be able to reposition and strategically place the assets that you do have ac- have access to um, and put them in the right position, you know, for how you want to achieve your goals. Mm-hmm. Now, one other issue that comes up and there, that's part of the funded ratio tool is to just show the income and the, the spending over time because... The funded ratio is a simplification that will usually work, but I mentioned earlier in the episode, if one of your major assets is an inheritance at age 80, for example, that might be a big enough asset to show your plan is fully funded, though it is possible based on the timing of cash flows. Yeah, there could be a gap in your 70s where you don't. (laughs) Yeah, you don't have the asset yet. And so the, the funded ratio does simplify a bit in that regard. It's not usually going to be a problem. It's really only an issue in these kind of edge cases of one of your significant assets doesn't come until much later. So, but, but can you talk a bit more about yeah. this kind of the cash flow issue that is simplified within the funded Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and your point there is, is actually an incredibly important one. Most people, you know, they have, when they retire, they have the bulk of their assets. You know, they get their assets first and then their liabilities are out in the future. So the cash flow issue is definitely something to be paying attention to. But for most people, um, it's not a crucial issue. But as you said, there are those edge cases where you do have these assets coming in. Um, you know, we do want to be paying attention to when is this money moving out? When is this money heading out the door? 
And can I actually do that? Uh, is that something I can actually write a check for, or, you know, pay off the credit card bill for? So, you know, that is something we, we want to be paying attention to. We actually, you know, speaking of the retirement researcher funded ratio tool, we do have a way, um, a way we have a chart showing you, you know, where, um, you know, where your expenses are through time, uh, matching that up against, actually against the reliable income. Um, the other remainder of that being looking at, uh, you know, how much of that is going to be coming from your investment portfolio. Um, so that is one of the things that you want to be paying attention to when you are using a funded ratio type of tool. Um, but it's definitely something that, uh, you know, most people aren't going to be as impacted by. Um, so. So it's interesting, it, it, just listening to the last few things that you, you both have said, the, the what strikes me as what strikes a chord with me about the funded ratio when it's broken down by, you know, funded ratio on essential expenses, funded ratio on discretionary and funded ratio on, on like reserves is that, and I, I think it bears repeating because it's really the meat of the sandwich to me is okay. If you're an income protected person the, and your aggregate funded ratio is, I don't know, 110%, 160%, but Within the within the essential expenses, if you take that category and run a sub funded ratio just in that category, and you're in 80 percent funded or sixty percent funded, and in the discretionary, where you're using your investment portfolio with discretionary expenses, you're one hundred and sixty percent funded. I want you to think about that. Your 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 funded ratio comes out high, but your investments, your your the way you're allocating your strategy isn't aligned with your preferences, and that's what leads to anxiety. On many levels, and if you if you take if you take the the sense that assets are fungible, yeah, and this is re really relevant on many levels. You know the way you look at reverse mortgages, the way you look at uh, cash policies on uh, on the the cash value policy of insurance. You know things are fungible, right? And so if you can take a portion of that overfunding in the investment side, that sixty percent portion, that's a dollar value. Let's just say that's a hunt that happens to be five hundred grand, right? And you can use that five hundred grand and purchase reliable in contractual income to the degree that it it kind of causes that funded ratio to now the subfunded ratios in terms of the reliable income funded ratio goes from whatever 80 to 100 and the discretionary one goes from 140 to 160 to 110 or something like that you've really now aligned your strategy with your preferences you know and, and that's that's really conceptually why it's so cool now there, there's a piece there. i don't know wait i was going to get into how you know the mortality credits can actually give you an extra bump but i, I don't think this is the space for it <laughs> right now from a funded ratio standpoint remember how you were kind of analyzing that uh -huh. and it like increased yes. it if there's an easy way to do that in 50 words or less fine if not we can just punt it but it it, it does wonders for you just aligning your strategy with your preferences in a manner that's actually, look, this is, you know, not overly engineered, not going crazy, but, you know, very simple and intuitive. I, that's, to me, that's the key to all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you don't want to leave that hanging, the, the simple point is that an annuity can often improve the funded ratio because the annuity pricing is based on 
life expectancies, the objective mortality data uh, for the aggregate population. But I'm not building my funded ratio as though I'll live to my life expectancy. I'm building it as though I might live longer than my life expectancy. And so the, the present value of my annuity payments may be higher than the premium on the annuity. And, and so that's where it can increase the funded ratio, but not, I mean, in a reasonable way, because my financial plan is not, I want my, if I want my plan to work to 95, I need my plan to work to 95. Now the annuity is going to behave better if I do live to 95, but if I don't live to 95, my uh, liabilities would have been less in hindsight. So it's not as big of an issue. And that's where you're bringing in an annuity for that sort of style where it's appropriate does actually help to boost the reliable income ratio by more than it might hurt the diversified portfolio. Because I, I may I sell the assets for the premium, but then I get an asset on with a present value that's greater than the premium I paid. Yeah, and, and just so people don't think we're, we're trying to overly emphasize contractual income, think of it the other way around. Your funded ratio is 100 and whatever. It, it, your funded ratio is extremely do, it is doing extremely well, but your total return, so your probability base, and your funded ratio for essential, for essential expenses is 150, just to say something. And your funded ratio for discretionary is, is below 100. And you have a decision to make at work. Do you take the pension or you just take the lump sum, right? And this could be a scenario where the recommendation could be, you know what, take the lump sum and and invest it, and you know you're you're, you're somebody that is is okay with the probability based approach that would entail you to to take a lump sum, you know, versus a pension. So, it, uh, Wade, you want to you know make sure I'm not going off the rails there, but I, I you know there you're you know you're not kind of you're, you're aligning the strategy with the preference in a manner that makes perfect sense for that person. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that sounds right, and that's a good example of going in the other direction with it. Now, in practical terms, you may not find a lot of people who are dramatically overfunded with reliable income, no, especially if they're I wanted to, probability based. I wanted to be fair and balanced. I wanted to be fair and balanced. Right? Yeah. Theoretically, what you described could happen for sure. Okay. I mean, I, I think that's good, Bob. Any any other nuances? That no, would maybe I, I think we've we've kind of covered it. I mean, really, what it comes down to is the funded ratio is a great tool for helping you figure out, you know, how close you are to being able to fund all of the things that you want to be able to do in retirement, which in turn kind of gives you a sense of what do I need to be able to do to do that? How much flexibility do I have in building my plan around my preferences if we're overfunded? How much do I need to do to get me up to that point where I am fully funded if I'm underfunded? And then within there, we can go in and look at, okay, what does my strategy look like? How do I need to reposition, if at all, to get my plan to match up with my RISA? Yeah, we're, we're talking the, the same language here because, yeah, I, I think of the funder ratio as a perfect way to determine your strategy allocation which right. is a precursor to the asset allocation. Everyone goes right into the asset allocation. So if you really think about all what we've done so far in this entire podcast series has been the first step, let's determine your style. You know, there is a style. The style leads to a strategy. The strategy leads to solutions. Now that you have in place all of this, let's put an economic overlay to this. Let's do a plan. 
before you do a plan, we need to talk about budgeting. So we started this arc about budgeting. Okay, what are, what are expenses in retirement? How do they look like? How do they change? What are the unexpected things? How should you approach it? You, we even talked about replacement rates versus, you know, bottom-up sort of planning, you know, from a budgeting standpoint. Then when, once you have the numbers, what type of plan works best? We talked a little bit about Monte Carlo, and, and we, we still have some episodes, but, you know, it, it, we, 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 we like to do it with the funded ratio. And so we've, we've taken you folks on this sort of trajectory here that, this is how we do it. This is, uh, you know, from starting place to, to where we are now. I, I think it's a great path for anyone, you know, tr- transitioning into retirement to take or for anyone that has started it to kind of just recalibrate a little bit. So, uh, you know, that's where we are so far. That's what we've done so far. And I just I, I just thought it was a good moment to kind of rehash that. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. And let me just put in, so plug the retirement planning guidebook, but it, it's following the same sort of approach there. And I think we've added a lot of nuance to that. But, you know, chapter one is about determining your retirement style. Chapter two is about going through the different retirement risks, which is then going to be helpful to define your contingency liability for the funded ratio. Chapter three then gets into the budgeting and then puts that all together to describe the funded ratio process and to explain everything you need to be able to think about what is my funded ratio. And then from there... Now we, we combine the RISA with the funded ratio to start thinking about, okay, how am I going to actually implement this? And that's where there's more chapters in the book and there's more episodes <laughs> to come with Retire With Style where we're going to explore these issues. There you go, Wade. And yeah, and, and by the way, thank you all for listening. The, the response has been fantastic. It's, it's exceeded our expectations in terms of the number of downloads and the likes. So really, really appreciate the support. Thank you so much. And uh, for this episode, I'll do my sign off. So thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And Bob French, thank you for being our excellent guest for yet another episode here. You're there we go. Well, here. thank you our for having me on. Most frequent guest. Absolutely. So have a great week, everyone, and we'll catch you next week. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results. 